I, uh, today, am going to be reading and preaching from the New Living Translation. Uh, during Matthew, I've been using the New American Standard Bible, which is my go-to. Uh, but as I was studying the passage this week, I just really liked the way that it read in the New Living Translation. I read lots of different translations in my personal devotions and in my theological studies. It just helps sometimes. There's things you'll see in a certain translation that you didn't spot in another one. Oftentimes, a passage that you're really familiar with, which is true of this passage for a lot of us, you read it in a different translation, and it's fresh again, and it comes to life. So uh, those are tools that you should employ in your life, different Bible translations. And today, I'll be reading and preaching from the New Living Translation. We'll be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34, as we continue through the Sermon on the Mount. And the title of this sermon is, The Other Way from Worry. The Other Way from Worry. So we have the words of Jesus here, starting in Matthew 6, verse 25. Jesus says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about all these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, as we always do, we say thank you for your word, your wonderful, living, and active, authoritative, infallible, and errant, true, and glorious word. Thank you for the way that you, by your spirit, meet us in the pages of the scripture, in the words of Christ. Thank you that as we hear them, there's power in them from God. As they're preached, there's power there. And there's real power and peace that comes into our lives as we endeavor to live them by grace. So Holy Spirit, help us to hear with clarity. Help us to understand what Jesus is saying to us. We ask together that you would please enable me by grace to be a faithful preacher today and to preach in a way that is true to your word and brings glory to Jesus and that you would make us a faithful church in our hearing of your word and in our willingness to obey. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let me start with a question, and this is by show of hands, okay? How many of you worry? Raise your hand. Okay, pretty much everyone. A couple liars in the group, but (laughs) 
There always is in every crowd, but pretty much it seems like we all do, right? We all worry and, and we readily admit it. We readily admit it because worrying is an acceptable sin. Sin. Worrying is a sin. Jesus says three times in our passage, do not worry. It's a direct command. It's elsewhere in scripture. So if it's a direct command from Jesus, if he says do not, and then we do, well, then we have sin. But worry is the acceptable sin. I mean, if I had said to you, okay, by show of hands, how many of you lust? How many of you cheat on your taxes? Nobody's raising their hands. But worrying, I mean, we all do it. Honestly, in one sense, worrying is normal to the human experience. But worrying is not intended by God for human beings. And what Jesus is endeavoring to do in this passage is to save us from this common thing called worry. So we ask ourselves then, as we look at this passage, why is it that we worry? Why why do we worry? And why exactly is Jesus asking us not to, if it's so normal? Or in other words, what's really wrong with worrying? So why do we worry? I think there's a lot of reasons that we can mention why we worry. And some are super obvious I think that we worry often because we don't know the future, right? We, we don't know the future. And so we, we worry about it, what might happen. We also worry because there are certain times and instances and circumstances and things in our lives that are beyond our control. We're not able to control them, to wrestle them, to manipulate them, to determine the course that they might go. So because we don't know the future and because there are things we cannot control, we often find ourselves worrying. And in that sense, since we don't know what will happen and we can't change the outcome, it kind of makes sense to worry. Let's be honest. But what Jesus is saying is that worry is not so much a matter of what you don't know or can't control, but rather worrying is really a matter of not realizing how much God loves you and cares for you. It's not about not knowing or not being in control. It's about actually knowing God's love for you and God's care for you. Look again at verse 26. Jesus says, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns because your heavenly father feeds them. Listen to this. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Skip to verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God so wonderfully cares for the wildflowers, that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. I want us to think about those, those couple key phrases there that Jesus said that we'll put up right now. Look at the birds. Aren't you far more valuable to your heavenly father than they are? If God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers, he will certainly care for you. 
And in light of those statements of Jesus, because of God's care for his people, because of God's love for them, Jesus is saying, contrary to what we normally think, that worry actually doesn't make sense. Because worrying is not so much an issue of what we don't know or what we can't control. Rather, it is an issue of what we do know about God's love and God's care for us. And what Jesus is doing in this text is inviting us to move from living in the midst of what we don't know into what we do know. He's inviting us to go the other way of worry. We don't know the future. But we do know that God is good. And that God is sovereign. God is in control. These are our, our, our foundational declarations of Scripture. And this command to not worry in Scripture is really based upon the truth that God cares for us. Think, for example, of a popular one, 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5. Thank you. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. This call to go the other way from worry is based upon the fact that Scripture says God cares about us. Now, Here is what I find to be the problem. I don't always believe that God cares for me. I mean, I struggle with that. I know what the scriptures say, but I also know what life feels like. And I, 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 I struggle with that. I've had to think long and hard on that. I mean, what does it mean that God cares for me when my eight-year-old daughter dies of cancer? How do I reconcile those? I look again at the words of Jesus. Look at the birds. Aren't you far more valuable to him, your heavenly father, than birds? Look at the wildflowers. God cares for them wonderfully. If he does that, he will care for you. Listen to the way Jesus is reasoning with us from logic and God's participation in creation. Look at the birds. Look at the wildflowers. You're far more precious than either of those. So I find these in the tension of trying to believe that God cares for me. I I, I find these to be beautiful words. And I find these to be brutal words. I think they're both beautiful and brutal because Jesus says them with full knowledge of our suffering. I mean, the audience to whom he was speaking, they... They suffered. They were worried about where their next meal would come from and how they would put shoes on their kids when the seasons changed. I mean, that's that's real suffering. If Jesus was talking to us today, he might have couched it in some different phraseology. Most of us, thank you, Lord, aren't too concerned about food or having enough clothing. But his, his audience, they, they knew real suffering. And so when Jesus says these words to them, they were beautiful. And in some ways, they're brutal. 
And Jesus says to them in verse 32, your heavenly father already knows all your needs. It's a beautiful statement of God's sovereignty and his care. But it's also hard when we feel as though our needs are not being met by God. We have to remember that Jesus is not naive to the human condition. He knows that we suffer. And he's inviting us into the Father's love and the Father's care. He's inviting us not just to hear about it and know about it. He's inviting us to experience the Father's love and the Father's care. To experience it. These words from Jesus are an invitation to us. But here's the thing about an invitation. You have to respond. Right? You get the invitation in the mail. RSVP by whatever date. Well, this is RSVP now. This is an invitation from Jesus to which we need to respond. So the question is then, how do we respond? Well, the text is giving us these two juxtapositions, these two alternative routes. Worrying or seeking. Worrying or seeking. What does he say in verse 33? Seek the kingdom of God above all else. This is the other way from worry. This is the invitation. This is the option that sits before us as human sufferers. This is a command that we're given. Don't worry, but rather seek. These are the opposites. And the hard, cold truth is sometimes we don't experience what Jesus is inviting us to experience God's care, because we stay in our worry rather than going the other way towards seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness. We stay in our worry rather than going the other way and moving into seeking. And here's the rub about that. Jesus says that worrying doesn't work. I mean, verse 27, right? He said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? It's just being real plain here. Worrying doesn't work. We all do it. We like practice it. It's a normal part of our lives, it would seem. But Jesus says that worrying doesn't work. Proverbs told us this long ago in Proverbs 12. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs it down. But a good word makes it glad. And what Jesus is doing in this passage is giving us a good word that lovingly saves us by telling us what actually works. Stop worrying, start seeking. Stop worrying, start seeking. How do we do that? How do we seek him, his kingdom, and his righteousness when life is hard? Because that's where the rubber meets the road, when life is hard. I think we find great help for this from a famous passage, Philippians chapter 4. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It says, be anxious for nothing. Pause right there. Now we're all busted because some of you were like, I don't worry about clothes. I don't even care what I wear. Food, I got plenty. But be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We'll leave that up for a minute. Here's what's being given to us. We are being given by God's word here, both a pathway and a promise. A path and a promise. A path along which we can move the other way from worry and a promise that we discover as we go down that path. The path is this. Instead of worrying, let your requests be made known to God. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, which just means to ask, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Instead of worrying, tell God about it. To just worry is to not invite God into it. To stop worrying for a moment and move the other way toward prayer is to invite God into what we don't know and into what we can't control. To invite the one who does know and can control into our spaces of uncertainty and worry. So there's a clear pathway here. When you begin to worry, tell God about it. Now, there's a certain way in which this text tells us to start. Start with praise and thanksgiving. This is the appropriate way for the created to approach the creator, for the finite to approach the infinite, for sinners to approach a holy God is with praise and thanksgiving, right? Enter his courts with praise and his gates with praise and his courts with thanksgiving, the psalmist says. This is a right way to approach God, but this is also an incredibly helpful way for when we get stuck in those cycles of worry. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? This is where it happens. You just get stuck in that. You just mull that thing over and over and over, and it's just churning within you. And God says, here's the strategy. Here's the pathway. Stop for a minute and begin to thank God. Now, there's a discipline. Now we have to think differently. Not the same pattern of what we've been worried about. Now we're invited to think differently. Well, this is wrong in my life and I can't control this and I'm scared of this. But what is right? And where do I see signs of God's grace? And where is God's goodness? What can I thank God for? This is real spiritual discipline. Stop the worrying and begin to thank God. Now we've already been helped because we're, we're thinking differently. We just got saved from this like thing. And then... Let your request be made known to God. Just tell God, God, here's what I'm worried about. Just tell him explicitly. What if we did this in our lives? What if every time we worried, we actually stopped, thanked God for something, and then told him exactly what we were worried about and invited him into it? Do you think that would change anything? you think that would change the way that we feel, change our faith levels? change our well-being, change perhaps the outcome? Because Jesus says that worrying accomplishes nothing, but the scriptures say that prayer accomplishes much. It might actually do something. The most fruitful thing I've discovered from my prayer life in the last several years is to learn to write my prayers out. This is my personal prayer life, to learn to write them out because I found that I was too apt to use shorthand with God. And I just kind of breathe these prayers and I didn't even say them, just think them in my mind just for a moment, sort of half-formed prayers and just throw them out there. 
wait a minute. Don't talk to God like he's your bro. And just, oh, well, I, like, actually, when I begin to sit down and approach God with a holy reverence and writing to him and dressing him correctly and thanking him and confessing my sin in writing and then telling him in writing full sentences with correct syntax and grammar because God cares. Maybe, I don't know, but my wife does. Actually writing out, God, here's what's troubling me. Here's where I feel out of control. Here's where I feel intimidated. Here's where uncertainty has me living in fear. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when I actually, I think here's the key, took the time to write these prayers down before God. I just saw an effect in my own life, in my own prayer life, this this peace. All of a sudden I was discovering this promise. I was concertedly, with real effort, rocking down the path and experiencing, verse 7, the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Imagine how much peace God has. God is actually in control. He's all-powerful, and he knows all things. So he has perfect peace. And he promises those who come to him with our troubles and thanksgiving to give us that peace. And that peace is beyond comprehension, meaning it's not dependent upon what we know or don't know. It's beyond those things. It's a true working gift of God. And it will guard exactly what needs to be guarded in life's hardest moments. Our hearts and our minds. I mean, this is where worry happens, right? We get heart sick and we get mind obsessed. And we need this guarding that's being promised here. And then there's one more step down the pathway, and that's the next verse, verse 8. This is like, anybody ever give you a recommended reading list? Recommended reading? This is recommended thinking from God. Recommended thinking list. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's anything of excellence and anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. There's some like real practical help. The word of God says to us, stop dwelling on those other things that have you bound up in fear and disappointment and worry and start to dwell on these things. Now, it might take a little bit of effort. I mean, honestly, it can be hard in our world to find something that is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely of good repute and excellent and worthy of praise. You know who I found is a perfect fit to that description? Jesus. I think the text is inviting us to stop thinking about everything that we don't know and can't control and to begin to think about the one who does know and is in control, Christ himself. And that's a real discipline. We, re- we really need the help of the Holy Spirit when those difficult times of life come and we're just in our hearts and minds to stop and begin to praise God, tell him what we're worried about, and then think new thoughts, recommended thinking list on the person of Christ. I find in my life then, that means I need to have a steady diet of the Bible. Like reading the Bible all the time, right? Because I consume so much junk from the world. There's so many anti-Jesus messages. There's so much stuff that's just junk and there's so much stuff that's just useless. And I'm getting million, thousands of these messages a day. 
And I need for my own well-being to balance those with something that is lovely and pure and excellent and worthy of praise. The word of God and Christ, the centerpiece of God's word. And so because I'm so weighted with the messages of the world and these filthy images, I find I have to have a really solid diet of God's word to be even able to begin to think this recommended thinking list. Does that make sense to you? Now, if, if as we say, Jesus is a perfect example, the fulfillment of that list, then we want to say this. Christ, here's why it helps us to think on him in our times of worry. Christ is the evidence of the Father's love and care for you. Christ is the evidence that God loves us and cares for us. In particular, Christ's cross, his death upon the cross and his resurrection from the dead is the evidence, the tangible historical evidence that God actually loves you and cares for you. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at that. God has demonstrated his love, right? Uh, Husbands and wives are always like, don't just tell me you love me, show me you love me. God has demonstrated, my wife doesn't, but I'm sure yours does. God has (laughs) demonstrated his love for us in that while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. You know what I have to tell myself sometimes? is Brit, don't be a punk. God has given his son to die in your place for your sins. So you cannot really question whether or not God cares about the minutia of your life. He has demonstrated that he cares through the cross. So don't be a punk that demand that God work this outcome that you want. Look to the cross and the outcome of our salvation there. Don't be a punk, a theological punk. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us everything else? Remember we talked about last week, we have bought into this satanic lie that God is a taker and God is actually a giver. And we think that God is a withholder when God is actually generous. So we get in these tough spots in life and we start to worry because we think, well, God is a taker and God's going to withhold. But what would God withhold from us that's good for us if he already gave his only son for us who bled for us? It doesn't even make sense. In Galatians 2.20, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting the son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Who loves me and gave himself for me. Now, when we look at the cross and the way that the cross of Christ demonstrates to us, proves to us God's love and God's care, then we begin to see worry in a different way. I mean, we were all pretty lighthearted about worry. That was an easy one for us to confess, but it is actually a pretty nasty sin. Because worrying isn't about what we don't know or we can't control. Worry is about what we do know, that God gave his son for us to prove that he loves us and cares for us. And if God loves us and cares for us, that is meant to move us in the other direction from worry. 
So if we worry in the face of the cross and if we worry in the face of God giving his son for us, it's actually a pretty dirty little sin. Now if I were to ask who worries, we're like, oh no, I'm over that thing. (laughs) So when I look carefully at Jesus and his cross and I hold that truth over and against all that I worry about, I hold the truth of God's love and care for me in the cross over and against everything I'm worrying about. When I confront all that I'm worried about with the truth of the cross, I come to a dilemma. I come to a crisis of thought, a situation that requires a difficult choice. I have to answer this question. Am I going to, number one, let my circumstances rule my heart and mind and so feelings and actions? That's worry. Or am I going to, number two, let the evidence of God's love in the cross of Christ rule my heart and mind and so feelings and actions? That's a a real dilemma, a situation that requires a difficult choice. Theologically, it's a no-brainer, right? That you're like, duh, that's your sermon? This is not a hard choice. Theologically, it's a no-brainer. Practically, it's a real struggle, isn't it? We spend a lot of our lives letting our circumstances rule our hearts and minds and so feelings and actions. Jesus is inviting us to go the other way. The first way leads me deeper and deeper into worry. The second choice leads me deeper and deeper into God's love. The first choice requires nothing of me. The second choice actually requires something from me. Prayer, as we talked about, that pathway from Philippians 4. Directed thoughts. Faith. Jesus said, why do you have so little faith? Trust. Being in the word of God. Here's a familiar old passage that connects Proverbs 3. And here are the two options. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, right? That's the space of worry, leaning on our own understanding. Instead, trust the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him, the NASB says. Submit to him and he will make your path straight. Now listen to me. Attention here for a moment. We don't think too much about a straight path, but in the ancient world, a straight path was a big deal. There's no four-wheel drives. There's no SUVs. It was like everywhere that you went, you were walking. And if the path was up and down and all around and under and circuitous, that made for hard going. If someone came to you and said, hey, dude, I made a straight path for you. You're like, this is awesome. I don't have to go up and down and all around and underneath and take the circuitous route. This is a straight path. The truth is that life is up and down and all around and underneath in a circuitous, long, arduous route. God is saying in his word, I'm inviting you into a different way. Submit all your ways to me. Acknowledge me. Invite me into these things. And I will make for you a straight path. Don't think it means necessarily that life is going to be easy. I think it does mean that God is going to be present, holding, caring, 
walking with us. And that is a straight enough path for me. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Health to your body and nourishment to your bones. You know what medical studies tell us? Is that Dr. Olson is here, he'll tell us, is that you can ask him afterwards, worry actually hurts you physically. Right, you hear people, they go in, oh, I had to go to the doctor, my heart was doing this, and he said it was stress. That's like the diagnosis all the time these days. Oh, I got a rash, stress. I broke my leg, stress. I mean, really, there is some detrimental effect in worry and in stress. Look what God is saying in his kindness to us. This, trusting the Lord with all your heart, submitting your ways to him, not leaning on your own understanding, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Not to mention our whole being. And this idea of not leaning on our own understanding is important. Because I have found in my life that usually when I'm disappointed with God or I'm not believing that he cares or trusting him, it's usually rooted in the fact that I have false expectations of how the world ought to be and how our lives ought to go. It's easy to trust him when everything is going your way. Right? That's easy. That's when we get these silly little Christian things like, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. It's easy to trust him when everything is going our way. But when it's not, I have to realize this. God is not a genie in a bottle. My wish is not his command. His ways are not my ways, Isaiah 55, 11. His thoughts are not the way that I think. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. My wish is not his command. God is holy. God is right. God is righteous. And upsettingly, I find that my perceived needs do not always line up with what God determines to be my needs. They just don't. Think of Job, the the quintessential sufferer, one who lost everything. And after dozens of chapters of him and his friends wondering and shaking their fists at God and all these things, we get to the end of it and God shows up. And Job has this complaint against God and he makes his case. And God just looks at him and says, Job, where were you when I made everything? Did you make everything? Didn't think so. Job, you you don't even understand how the physical universe came into being or works. Don't pretend to tell me how to run the moral universe. I am God. And Job very rightly covered his mouth and said, I have spoken wrongly. And he confessed and repented in sackcloth and ashes. 
That's beautiful truth. That's brutal truth. That's hard when life seems and is unfair. And we find ourselves asking the question over and over again, can I trust him? Does he care? And the serpent in those moments comes along and says, did God really say? Does God really care? That's what Eve bought into. Some sort of lie that God was a taker, not a giver. God was wanting to keep something good from her. God didn't care in the way that she needed to be cared for. That's the voice of the serpent. And I hear it frequently. I struggle with it. So I need to hear God's words to me. Psalm 139 is always helpful to me. For you, God, formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I'll give thanks to you, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I wake up, I'm still with you. So search me, God. Know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way, literally in the Hebrew, painful path in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. See, what Jesus is wanting to do in this text is deliver us from that painful path. Lead us in the other direction into a deeper experience of God's love and care through this obedient action of seeking. I want to finish just by reading a passage of scripture over us. Romans chapter 8. You could turn there if you'd like. We won't put it on the screen. I just want you to hear it and feel it. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It says in Romans 8, 26. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Here comes your favorite verse. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Pause right there. There's your favorite verse. That in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That verse and this verse, those are like tattoo verses, right? That's the Christian tattoo. Romans 8, 28, bro. God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And that is absolutely true. But the hard thing is God's purpose is not always our purpose. And what we think that verse means, and this is why it's our favorite verse, we think that that means, well, ultimately I'm going to get my way. 
That's what we think it means. That's why we love it. But before you got the tattoo, did you read the next verse? (laughs) Important to do. (laughs) Verse 29. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, listen, to become like his son. That is the good that is being spoken of in verse 28. That God would make us like Jesus. The promise is not about getting what we want. The promise is being about conformed to the image of Christ. And I have found, and Scripture confirms, that that is just hard work. Not hard work on our part. Hard work that we go through by the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I have found, haven't you found, that Christ is most formed in me in the most difficult times of life? The good that God works is that through these difficulties, we somehow, by the work of the Holy Spirit, end up looking more like Jesus. Verse 30. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What then shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares to accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ Jesus who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a good word. That is real help in worrisome days. End of sermon. Now, how is that for a closer? I had a great intro and a great closer. Solid. End of sermon. Now, we're going to do something different. We're going to do a little spiritual exercise. Okay, we're going to put into practice right now something that we just learned. Worship team will come up in a little bit, but we're going to do this. Put a couple scriptures up on the screen. The first one frames it for us. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. You already heard it. And then the next one, which we won't read again, you know, be anxious for nothing but pray, so on and so forth. We're actually gonna let you practice that right now. Okay, so you're gonna get in your heart and your mind these things that you've been worrying about. 
a thing or many things, whatever those things, get them, get them in front of you. And then you're going to set them aside for a moment. And you're going to start to write down some reasons to be thankful to God. Write down. I hope you have something to write on. You should always be taking notes when I'm preaching. Of course you have. Why would you not do that? Of course you have something to write on. Or if you don't, shame on you, but you can still do this mentally. You're going to think about all the things you're worried about. You're going to set them aside and you're going to come up with some reasons to be thankful to God. And then you're going to tell God exactly what you're worried about and what you want him to do about it. Sound good? You're going to head down the path the other way from worry. Don't look at your neighbor's paper. Let's be quiet and do this before the Lord in prayer or writing, however you want to do it. Let's just do this before God now. Worship team will be up in a few minutes.